You are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On NFL podcast. My name is Luke Braun. I'm with Locked On Vikings. I'm here with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints. We're here to break down some primetime games, talk a little fantasy. But before we get into all that, I want to ask you to help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. So next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol to tap and pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. And uh, Ross, how are you doing here about nine seconds after that Monday night game that you probably probably had no stake in just wrapped oh my goodness what an atrocious performance i'm really looking forward to breaking it down sort of seeing like where things go wrong or where things went wrong over at locked on saints uh you know you and i both covering teams that uh kind of underperformed and underwhelmed here in week two but always interesting to go back. yeah i'm trying to be nice you know what i mean i'm trying to be nice about it but uh but we got some great primetime games uh this week all together and uh i'm looking forward to breaking these down yeah, and let's we'll give you some time to like cool off and and you know <laughs> distance yourself. So, because let's talk about Cam Newton and Russell Wilson, uh, Seahawks, Patriots, Sunday Night Football. This awesome thirty to thirty-five tilt that, uh, as Seahawks and Patriots games seem to always yeah. uh, do, that comes down to one final play on the goal line, uh, a Cam Newton designed run that gets uh, upended and and stopped for. I think they didn't even get back to the line of scrimmage. Mm. So, give me your like initial takeaway from that game, other than the game was awesome and really fun to watch. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I-, I thought that this was a game to where both of these teams kind of came in and did what you expected them to do. I think this new identity for Seattle as they finally hashtag let Russ cook uh, has really worked out very well for them. I mean, Stefan Gilmore ends up allowing the first touchdown that he's allowed since 2018 to DK Metcalf on the deep pass there. Those two were the fireworks were there all night for the two of them but the run game for Seattle continuing to carry them through and it's really great to see Cam Newton just being able to execute this offense and doing what he does I mean look you, you score 30 points in a game you expect to win but the New England defense even though they got the pick six to open up the scoring for the Patriots not really the same New England defense that we're used to seeing here in years past yeah, it's definitely a weird, it's like not a Pete Carroll team the way that we were kind of familiar with Pete Carroll teams. I saw somebody during the game tweet something to the effect of like the Seahawks have now like unlocked their true power because they're not trying to beat everybody by exactly three points. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that was kind of the thing. They would like try to do this ball control thing and try to be this like really mm-hmm. hot, like smack. And it's like, you have Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You have the like perfect contraption to run around and launch 40 yard bombs all day long and put up 50 on people. Just do that. And, and yeah. you know, you take a lot of pressure off the defense that way too. They can give up 30 and still in the game. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you saw Tyler Lockett had seven receptions in this game. DK Metcalf with just four, but at 92 yards and the touchdown. I was also, it, you know, it, the funny thing when you think about, you know, we've heard uh, sort of over in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady and Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller being talked about a lot as like the Julian Edelman type, the Wes Welker type, things like that. But the Julian Edelman type 
has proven, I think, so far with Cam Newton to simply just be Julian Edelman. Eight catches for 179 receiving yards in this game. And Cam Newton really, really leaning on him uh, to continue to be a part of this offense uh, on 11 targets at that. So I think that, you know, you saw both of these teams really try to play to their strengths. Uh, They let Cam sort of do what he needed to do in terms of gunning that ball out and and passing the ball all over that offense and trying to distribute the ball as much as he could uh, with the receivers that he had there, particularly receivers out of the backfield as well. The Patriots notably without James White, who had a tragic loss in his family right before for, or, or at least we learned about it right before the game. So he wasn't a part of it. The big piece missing, uh, not only for you know offensive production in terms of numbers on the field, but just as you know, a, 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 what they call a glue guy. You know, one of those guys that There's is an just, energy to you know, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, so you're, but, you're like grieving for your brother, and, and it, it kind of can affect the the energy of the game, which is totally understandable. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But they still went out there, and I think they played in a way that you know to them was really efficient and uh, and worked out. But that Seattle offense was just something else and way more, I think, uh, explosive than I might have expected coming into this season with the weird offseason that we've had. Yeah, it's like a scary iteration of the Seahawks. But before we wrap on this one, we got to talk about that final play call because I think yeah. that is is the real, like, controversy. It's always a controversial play at the end. <laughs> so here's where I'm, where I'm at with it. You tell me what you think. Cam Newton designed run on the goal line, I don't think is a particularly bad idea in the abstract. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had just gotten, I think they had like two touchdowns off of that, like basically that's yep. say. However, when it is in a fourth down or a, you know, this is your last play situation. I forget what down it literally was, but there's like two seconds left. Um, mm-hmm. I think you have to open yourself up to options on first down and you can just get stuffed. That's fine. You've got more downs to live. I love that play call on first and goal. You you still have a a couple of plays left, but when it is the last play, you have to work in an option. I still like a Cam Newton draw, but you got to have one of those blocking tight ends leak out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you have the formation as condensed as as you did in that play, they they had all 11 players in tight on that play. And when you have that, you have all the space in the world to have somebody run toward the pylon and basically throw a fade. And if it's not there, Cam Newton can read that and toss it up, which they got a touchdown on that exact concept as well. So that's really my only like criticism of it. I don't mind the play call. I would have just tweaked it a little bit so that one of the blocking tight ends leaks out and and, and gives you an option if the read isn't there, which it wasn't on that play. Yeah, Luke, I completely agree with that. I mean, you look at, as you mentioned, Cam had two of those rushing touchdowns on his own on the one-yard line, including the touchdown that got them within five points to get them into this position at the end of the game. But then they had the sort of, I'll call it a play action. It was like, it was the fake quarterback draw with a toss up to Jacob Johnson in the end zone for the one yard pass a little bit before it was at the very top of the fourth quarter there. I think that you had to, I completely agree to have the option there. It didn't need to necessarily be one or the other. It didn't have to be sort of the fake and with yeah, the like intent to throw. It. Yeah, exactly. Just put it in Cam Newton's hands to have two different options there to make a play. And unfortunately, that just wasn't the play call. And they end up getting stuffed without you know, having an opportunity to really spread that defense out on the, the goal line and be able to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's still a really exciting and fun Patriots team. It's cool. The oh. Patriots are like youthful and energetic again instead of mm-hmm. this just like super stale. I mean, they were always so good, but in such a like boring way, which is what they wanted. <laughs> it's kind of, they're like fun now. But let's move yeah. on to the Monday night tilt, which as we're recording this just ended. So mm-hmm. we've got some emotions. So I'll just, I'll just kick it over to you, man. You take it away. Tell me, <laughs> tell me what to, how to feel. I, I was a Saints fan too tonight too. Uh, my oh, bookie, yeah. 
Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, look, for me, I'm always the guy that like when, it, when the team that I cover loses, I kind of get excited about it because I get to go back and say, okay, I know what happened. Now let's break it down and figure out what didn't work. But this was just a, a game to where you expected to see hopefully the offense for the Saints get to a place to where they were gelling a little bit more than what you saw last week against the Tampa Buccaneers. Of course, they were without Michael Thomas, but I'm going to be honest. I don't know that the Saints have much of a different output in this game on the offensive side, even with Michael Thomas. There was so much inaccuracy by Drew Brees, uh, and we call it so much inaccuracy. The guy was 26 of 38, so it's not like he was terrible, but he was inaccurate for what we're used to seeing from Drew Brees. He had the one sort of really curious interception and all that, but for the Raiders, the Raiders just simply... I will say won this game. I mean, Derek Carr was incredibly efficient. He was 28 of 38. So, you know, pretty much right around where Drew Brees was as well. You can call him Drew Brees-esque, if you will. Three, uh, 282 yards and three touchdowns, including 103 to Darren Waller, who had 12 receptions. And really the Saints defense just had absolutely no answer to at all the Saints extending a couple of drives that end up being touchdowns as well with penalties they did that a couple of times and then for penalties as a whole the Saints with 129 yards in this game just off of penalties which is following up a performance where they gave up 119 last week just from penalties so this was not a very clean game for New Orleans as compared to what we saw at least on the defensive and special team side last week. Yeah, and, and the, the Raiders, there's some really exciting things to see for that. Like, if you're mm -hmm. a Raiders fan right now, right? Because Derek Carr, I mean, Derek Carr was not on his best game either. He had plenty right. of misses there, but the offense itself still was able to outproduce the Saints in New Orleans, which is awesome, uh, at least for them. But the, the, mm -hmm. the Darren Waller thing is really interesting. I feel like the Raiders kind of have these games sometimes where they come in and they say, we don't think these this team is going to be able to stop Darren Waller. You know, you have Malcolm Jenkins, who didn't have a very good game at all. Mm -hmm. and, and like, how are the Saints going to stop Darren Waller? And I, I remember this because in 2019 they came to Minnesota and they played my Vikings and they did the same thing. The Vikings didn't really have a tight end counter at the time. And they just kind of manufactured a million touches to Darren Waller, got like 130 yards and 13 catches out of him. So I feel like yeah. the Raiders and John Gruden just kind of do that sometimes when they feel like this guy is going to be like the guy that can carry the game for them. And it's really, really exciting to show that they still have access to that tool. Um, and you also have, I mean, Josh Jacobs was an excellent game and Hunter Renfro with a lot of clutch moments. Yeah. And you know, you that that offensive line looked phenomenal and really the defense I don't think had like a fantastic game but again it was good enough because your offense could move the ball up and down the field so really really exciting display for the Raiders and I mean we'll talk about this here in a, a little bit more in a second so now we get to see if they can sustain this and if, if they can keep this up or if it was you know they beat like a pseudo tanking Carolina team and a Saints team that was off their game in their weird September like voodoo <laughs> Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. The Saints continue to struggle in September. They haven't been able to start 2-0 and since 2013, Luke. It's been a long time for this team. And it wasn't until last year that since then they even won the first game in September. So the September voodoo very much still present uh, for the New Orleans Saints. And this time, uh, I've been waiting to say this, but this time the Saints go out and they fold in Las Vegas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> All right, Ross, I got a question for you. Do you yeah, park man. your car outside? Oh, you know it. Outside, on the street, around the corner. <laughs> are there trees around? There are trees around. Okay, so if you end up with a leaf in your windshield wiper, 
which mm-hmm. happens, right? Yeah, and you try to turn it on, it can actually damage the blade. And if the blade gets damaged and leaves streaks on your windshield wiper, that's like super unsafe. And you might, oh, now I got to take it in and do this really expensive thing. However, if you go to rockauto.com and you type in your, your make, your model, your year and stuff, and you have the, the, the right length of windshield wiper, you might have to go out and measure it. Mm-hmm. You can get a windshield wiper for le- a windshield wiper blade refill for less than five bucks. Just slide it in, slide it out, and you're good to go. Way safer. Pro tip. Pro tip, exactly. Uh, so if you head over to rockauto.com, pick up a, a new windshield wiper blade if you need one. If you have streaks, you can drive a little bit safer. And when you check out, make sure you go to the How You Heard About Us section and enter that Locked On sent you. All right, y'all. Welcome back to this Tuesday episode here at Locked On NFL. You got myself, Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints, my good buddy, Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings. Make sure you tune in tomorrow to catch Tony Wiggins and James Rappian as well as they continue on our week of all-star lineups here at Locked On NFL. And uh, they're going to be joined by a draft expert tomorrow as well with college football and everything kicking up. It's the perfect time to start figuring out what names you're going to be watching as the SEC returns and soon, hopefully as well, the Big Ten Mountain West and, of course, the Pac-12, maybe, if that happens. Uh, Luke, speaking of the Pac-10 potentially coming back, we thought that we would have a good time maybe looking at what's fake and what's real in the NFL right now. (laughs) 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 So I thought it would be fun to maybe take a look at some of these 2-0 teams that weren't playoff teams last year, teams that are maybe a bit of a surprise, and figure out if we're sort of like buying or selling their stocks. We have a new segment here that we'll certainly be revisiting to see just how right or wrong we were later on down the road. Uh, But we're going to take a look at this segment called Lock It or Mock It. So, Luke, let's start off with the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears starting off 2-0 this season, kind of inexplicably getting a couple of wins here and maybe uh, being a little bit better than, or at least looking in terms of record, a little bit better than we expected. The success that you've seen out of Chicago, Lock It or Mock It, Luke? So a, a lot of this is coming off of Lauren Cox, Lockdown Bears. We've done a couple mm-hmm. crossovers with him because he's in my division and everything like that. Right. So a lot of my Bears takes are kind of just siphoned straight off of him. Also, <laughs> I'm biased, of course, because I hate them. Fair. Um, uh, I'm going mock it for them. I, I don't buy Trubisky, and oh, I, I don't think a lot of Bears fans buy Trubisky, and they don't buy Foles, who couldn't win the starting job over Trubisky. Um, they beat an ailing Giants team that's 0-2 and an ailing Lions team that's 0-2. I don't think that, you know, I mean, you can only win the games on your schedule, right? So it's hard to, like, knock them right. too much for having played two easy teams. But I kind of want against a, a better squad, uh, a team that, you know, has kind of shown that they're going to be competitive this year and can the Bears keep up with that. Until then, I'm still going to kind of be, like, Ken Trubisky lead the team in the way that mm-hmm. the Bears need them to. And, uh, you know, the, the way that the rest of their roster is constructed doesn't seem like the kind of roster that can pull a, a 2017 Eagles miracle with like a Nick Foles. So I'm going mock it. I think they should be looking at mock draft season. Yeah, I think I've, I've got to completely agree with you here. I'm not going to believe in any team that gives Tarek Cohen a contract. I'm not going to, you're not going to catch me doing that. I like Tariq Cohen, don't get me wrong, but he's not the guy that I would have expected to get a contract when you've got like Allen Robinson still sitting there waiting for a new deal. And the players are like tweeting about it too. Right. Yes. And, and like that type of kind of, I I don't want to call it unrest because I feel like if I call it unrest, it it becomes, you know, much bigger than it really is. It's it's an energy though. It's a real anxious like 
It's not good yeah. locker room energy. Right, right, right. Like that has an effect on a team. So I'm going to say mock it. And I agree. I mean, look, you can't, like you said, you can't hold a team like the Bears or any team accountable for you know, beating the teams that are on their schedule, as you said, but I will wait until I do see them beat actual competition, which for the most part, I mean, potentially week four against the Colts would be the next game that they actually get an opportunity to play against a, a winning team, quote unquote, or a better team, more complete team, but we'll see where we are uh, with that later on, but I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go mock it there. Um, let's go back to this evening the, the winners of primetime in the gambling capital of the world. So take your gamble here. Uh, lock it or mock it on the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, Vegas beat me uh, in two different ways in that tonight. <laughs> in two different senses. Um, I have no idea what to make of these Raiders, really. I, Derek Carr, I, like, again, he didn't look perfect. He had inaccuracies. He had, uh, you know, a, a few really bad misreads downfield. Um, that the broadcast like highlighted, Mm -hmm. but they still put up over 30 points and they've done that twice. Again, it was Carolina um, and, and there's weird saints, mystical voodoo. Um, I don't think that they're going to be as bad as last year, but I think, I don't know. I want to like hold my breath. I want to like revisit it in a couple weeks because I don't know what to make of them. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll go with like, I I guess I'll err on the side of mock it. uh, Mm -hmm. But I don't feel very confident and would not be very surprised if I was wrong. Yeah. I'm going to go lock it. I am. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to, I'm going to err on the side of John Gruden, Super Bowl winning coach. Yes, he did it with somebody else's roster, but still Super Bowl winning coach. And <laughs> That's <too> drama. let's go. <laughs> um, no, I, I have a ton of respect for John Gruden. I love John Gruden. I'm glad that he's back in the league. I think the league is better with John Gruden, but I, I do like making fun of that win because it was with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So of course I got to make fun of it. Uh, but you know, look, uh, I piss off all kinds of fans. <laughs> when you've got Josh Jacobs, when you've got Darren Waller, who can be the reliable pair on your offense. And then you have these young, exciting rookies like Henry Ruggs, but also also Brian Edwards and you have a reliable guy like Hunter Renfro in there as well who can be a factor over the middle you have that offensive line like the offense has everything that it needs and as somebody that has watched the dink and dunk approach work at the west coast dink and dunk approach for three years now the Saints having 37 wins over the last three years with that type of an approach on offense I have no reason to believe that John Gruden and Derek Carr can't also make it work for them it might not look as flashy as it had as it has for some of the other teams that have run it, uh, you know, in other instances. But I just think that the rejuvenated energy, the togetherness of this team, and the young defenders that they have, uh, they don't need much. They don't need a ton to really get to the point to where they're rolling, especially when they have a Hall of Fame head coach already. I'm, I'm going to say that this is a team that potentially continues to get better, especially as they get defensive pieces back like they were operating without their lead uh, linebacker in this game, their lead signal caller in Kwiatkowski. Um, they were operating with their third string right tackle lined up against Cam Jordan and were able to almost completely neutralize them. I, I have every reason to believe in the Raiders right now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with them. Yeah, I, I definitely like. I, I don't feel. I, but here's the the like a big source of like my trepidation is the defense because yeah, yeah. that defense mm-hmm. was abysmal last year. I mean, that really yeah. sunk their whole really season last year, and I, it definitely has improved. But can that again? Like, can it sustain? Can it? Can they keep it up? And uh, you know, keep the the 
improvement going? And is that improvement enough? Did they improve yeah. enough or did they just go from terrible to only bad? And is that still going to be holding these Raiders back? I think they, they, right now they look like a playoff bubble team and that is improvement, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I still kind of want to air on. It's so close for me though. But yeah, let's it, move to one that I feel way stronger about. Let's talk about the Cardinals. Cause yeah. I, I was slamming the locket button on them. Kyler Murray looks awesome and fun. They have, uh, you know, Deandre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald still has plenty in him. They have Christian Kirk uh, in that running game. And the defense looks like it's, it's coming along strong with like Buda mm-hmm. Baker and stuff. That roster seems stacked. And if they weren't in the NFC West, I would be slamming division title bets all day. If they weren't, if they didn't share a division with like the, you know, defending NFC champs in Seattle and stuff. I am so high on Arizona right now. Yeah, I have to agree. I'll hit my locket button with you on this one. I, I just think that, and, and the only thing that, you know, again, like the gauge for improvement has to be understood as something a little bit subjective because of the fact that they are in the NFC West. So even though we're saying like we believe in this team, it's hard to say that they're going to be a playoff team or that they're going to win their division. I kind of feel the same way about Las Vegas, right? Like the idea of Las Vegas winning their division is not necessarily where I go, but just in terms of showing improvement, I would bet on them. I feel the same way with Arizona, particularly just with the with Kyler Murray, man. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I just think Kyler, I'm not I'm sorry, but you know, Kyler Murray to me is somebody that is just so electrifying, so fun to watch, can do everything, and also has DeAndre Hopkins as his, I, I don't want to call him a safety blanket because he's so much more than that, but when they need a safety valve, when they need an outlet, Kyler Murray will always have that with a guy like uh, DeAndre Hopkins and what a fantastic ad and a smart ad to bring him in. I'm looking forward to watching Arizona and I, I agree that young defense has also been pretty exciting as well. Yeah. Arizona put a team around Kyler Murray and that means mm-hmm. that Kyler Murray gets to really sing and kind of show his true colors. And I think that's going to be really, really exciting. I, 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 Arizona is like a game pass must watch every week for me. Yeah. hundred um, <laughs> percent. But let's stay in the NFC West because there's one that I, I have a little bit of trouble making heads or tails of, which is the Rams. They're two and oh, mm-hmm. they weren't in the playoffs, but they made the Super Bowl, uh, you know, two years ago. So I, for me, I'm going with Lockett for them, uh, but it's kind of like the Raiders where I'm not like 100% on it. Uh, and the reason is because we've seen this before. We've seen Sean McVay take Jared Goff and a good offensive scheme with good wide receivers and turn that into something that can you know make some noise in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I think because we've seen precedent for that before, it's easier for me to kind of buy in that a Sean McVay led team with Jared Goff and good receivers and you know is mm-hmm. going to be able to pull it together and and compete for that. And I wouldn't be surprised if the entire NFC West made the playoffs. I know, right? I, yeah. Format. Like just put all four in and the rest of the divisions can figure their own crap out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um I Man, I I have to tell you, I I think I feel the same way about the Los Angeles Rams as you do with the Las Vegas Raiders. I I see it. I really do. I see the talent. I see everything that they have, but I'm not completely buying in just yet. We have to remember that the Rams also started off 3-0 last season uh, as well and then started to fall apart after that. They won three straight, then they lost three straight, and then they just went on to essentially alternate from there. A couple of two-game win streaks, a couple of two-game losing streaks. And so I'm going to wait a little bit longer on the Rams. I have a lot of trouble trusting Jerry Goff. I honestly have a lot of trouble even trusting Sean McVay as well. I think that sometimes, but I have been excited about what I've seen from Sean McVay so far is the thing. So if he can continue on with what he's doing now, it's where he's mixing in more personnel groups. He's doing things that look different to defenses as opposed to a couple of years ago where they had like 
a formation and, uh, you know, a personnel group and made it really simple for Jerry Goff. If they can continue to do what they're doing here and sort of diversifying their offense, then I'll get more excited about them. But I need more than two games to really get locked in on them. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's still kind of to be seen whether we're watching the 2018 Rams or the 2019 Rams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just easier for me to buy in because we've seen the 2018 Rams, like we've seen kind of proof right. of concept yep. for this. But we have to, I guess, talk about some pretty bad news with all the injuries that are going on. So we're going to come up to that uh, in just a minute. Yeah, but before we get to that, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Built Bar, BuiltBar.com the best tasting protein bar on the market, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They now have 18 amazing flavors. Luke, I don't know about you, but I am a fan of one of the original flavors, mint brownie. I love mint and chocolate. Those are like my, one of my favorite, probably flavor combinations outside of chocolate and peanut butter. Do you have a favorite one of these built bars? Listen, the banana bread one is sneaky. Oh, thank that you one, for mentioning it it's such sound an like underrated it flavor. Super underrated because it's not like a classic thing like mint chocolate or like peanut butter and chocolate or whatever, but that right. one is tasty. Solid, solid choice. And now they have six brand new flavors that they're introducing as well, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. I am so stoked about Built Bar, and so are we. You hear those amazing flavors and add in the fact that they're also covered by a 100% chocolate, so it's even more perfect every time that you take a bite, and they're perfect for the health-conscious person that's looking to lose or maintain weight while also still being able to indulge in a delicious treat. And the best news of- and keto friendly, absolutely. And so the best news of all of this, though, is that Built Bar has reset their promo code for their new relaunch here. And you can get a free cooler with purchase while those supplies last. Just go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On. You're going to get $10 off of your next order. Doesn't matter if it's your first one or your next one. $10 off. Use the promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so let's talk about fantasy football a little bit. And if you play fantasy, chances are this week a player of yours got injured that is important. And it's been a devastating week for injuries all over the league, not only for fantasy popular players like Saquon Barkley, towards ACL out for this season, Christian McCaffrey, ankle sprain, four to six weeks. Even Michael Thomas, since last Mm -hmm. we talked, you know, ankle sprain, two to four weeks. Cortland Sutton, out for the season. Marlon Mack, week one, out for the season. So it has been a devastating year for injuries. And we were actually talking amongst, like, other locked-on hosts, um, you know, like, what's happening here? Does it have to do with the the truncated offseason and the, the, like, mini camp and stuff? And it really might, right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, Ryan Tracy does locked-on Chiefs. He was a sports um, David Locke, the, the titular right. David Locke knows a lot about this. And they, like, if you ask like sports trainers, they'll say that, you know, uh, uh, an NFL training regime that's super organized and super detailed and like targets the right muscles is built with science to try to keep people in the right shape that will not only have them, you know, good conditioning, but prevent injury. And if you're training at right. home, you're probably staying in fine shape, but you're not necessarily doing the targeted workouts that are super like curated. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, you've got the whole controversy with the MetLife turf um, and right. what right. happened with the 49ers. And now they have to go play on that MetLife turf again. And a lot of the players don't like that. So there's a, a lot of really bad season ending injuries going on here. Yeah, it's been really tough. And it's been, can I also talk about just like from another perspective here, do we really need to stare at someone writhing on the ground on television for 10 minutes before we cut the career? Can we just pan away 
and like go to the replay or something instead of doing that. Sorry, I wanted to get that out because that has just been driving me nuts. I can't stand the slow motion, like ligament tear replay. Like I don't need that, man. We don't need any of that. Like just tell, like tell us what happened later. Come back to it. Like we'll still be here. Just trust us. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing because we kind of came out of the first week here with not unscathed, but it, it felt better. You know what I mean? Like it felt like some of these players were going to be just fine and that the conditioning was maybe in a good place. We saw a couple of injuries, but really this week two was just exponentially worse than we expected. And it started with CJ Ozuma, the uh, Ozoma, excuse me, out of uh, Cincinnati, the Bengals tight end who had his season season ending injury. And then it just piled on from there. And, you know, from the fantasy perspective, we talk about the offensive players, but there were also a series of defensive players as well. Bruce Irvin, who uh, made some really big plays in the Sunday night game. We certainly saw that. So it, it's been really tough to kind of watch all of this. And now I think that there are a lot of, you know, fantasy owners that are looking for ways to replace some of these offensive players. And it's tough. For instance, Michael Thomas this week going out, I think maybe a lot of people might have run to the waiver wire or to free agency to pick up Emmanuel Sanders, thinking that he was going to, you know, be the guy that was going to come up and step up in place of uh, Michael Thomas. And he had zero catches in the Monday night game. And so it's always a challenge to sort of figure out who's going to step up outside of you know those players that were injured yeah and i think you kind of have to go like into the really like local nitty-gritty of the team which this network is is great for because you know Mm -hmm. maybe you could have said like no it's going to be traquan smith like pay attention to traquan smith emmanuel sanders is fine but this guy's going to get some you know and there might be kind of some of those little secrets like if it were you know if i if i had saquon barkley for example i would think maybe i should draw or not drop it you know eye armor or whatever and Mm -hmm. um pick up like Wayne Gallman, right. but is that, is Wayne Gallman going to be the guy that takes over? Or is there somebody else in the organization that's going to, you know, kind of pick up the slack? What's going to happen to the passing game? If they don't have Saquon Barkley, are going to, are they going to throw more? Should I maybe right. be trying to buy on a, on a Sterling Shepard? Um, so th- I think like when there's that injury, when there's an injury, if it affects you and you have your team, you know, you kind of got to scramble, you got to do something about it. But I think there might be some like opportunism here that you can maybe mm-hmm. try to conjure up and try to, you know, get some value out of this situation. If you have Wayne Gallman, you might be able to sell really, really high right now. Right. Um, and, and I think that that goes for a, a lot of these players that have been kind of these like players next to the injury whose workload are going to be a little different. I I don't claim to know exactly where to go with that, but I Mm -hmm. I think that is, there's an opportunity to eke out a little bit of value there. If you know your league and you know, who's willing to trade with you and you kind of know how to really take advantage of that situation, even if it isn't like directly on your roster. Yeah. I love your advice there too, because if you, if you drafted Saquon Barkley, you were drafting early in the early in the first round, you probably were able to walk away with a pretty good look at at running back in particular and maybe you're a little light at say wide receiver and then you lose a guy like Saquon Barkley if there's another team or another player another GM in your in your league that went wide receiver early but is struggling a little bit at running back then you might be able to move a guy like Wayne Gallman who looks like he's going to get all of this you know big influx of carries but if you know that New York is going to be throwing the ball a lot more which a good place to figure that out would be with Patricia Trano over at Locked on Giants she'll let you know everything you need to know about what the uh, Giants might look to do without Saquon Barkley, especially with all the inside that she has over at uh, Sports Illustrated as well. And so if you figure out that like, look, Daniel Jones, they're just going to let Daniel Jones kind of grip it and rip it. 
as opposed to focusing so much on the run game. And then you can move Wayne Gallman for maybe a more proven wide receiver if you're lacking at that position instead and be able to stack up with those Giants wide receivers. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing to sort of see how these teams respond. You know, for the Saints, for instance, as you brought up, if anybody's looking for a place to go without Michael Thomas, the two places to really lean in on the Saints offense really are Traquan Smith and Jared Cook. If you, you know, in terms of the players that might be available in your league or that might be easy to, you know, pull off a move for or a trade for it. Those are really the, the guys to target. Maybe not necessarily the guy that's brand new to the offense in Emmanuel Sanders. And I wonder if there is, and I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I don't know if this is worth pursuing, but it's definitely worth looking into for the defensive injuries too. Mm-hmm. That might affect a lot of game situations. Like look at the 49ers. They lost Solomon Thomas. They lost Nick Bosa. They lost a ton on defense. Does that mean that they're going to be in more shootout kind of track race situations? I know mm-hmm. that like the way the, the like conversation in Minnesota right now about the Vikings, because they lost Anthony Barr for the season is that, right. okay, now that defense is going to be giving up even more and even more. And all the Vikings might've gotten a little bit more valuable because they might be chasing the game more often. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much smaller thing. You probably shouldn't like make a giant blockbuster trade based off of that logic. <laughs> <laughs> but it should probably be a consideration, you know, the players. And, and I think this is like the biggest thing that gets in my own way in fantasy is that I think of players as just a player. You know, I think of like Hunter Renfro right. as just Hunter, Hunter Renfro, but Hunter Renfro, you're kind of drafting Derek Carr and you're kind of uh, drafting mm. against, you know, the tight ends on that team a little bit. And, and if, you know, if you take, uh, somebody like to go back to the Vikings, take somebody like Ola BC Johnson, you're mm-hmm. kind of, drafting away from Adam Thielen and you're kind of saying, okay, maybe, maybe Adam Thielen will get covered a lot. We'll get double covered a lot. So I'm taking the guy that that will be open instead. Mm-hmm. And I, I think thinking of, you know, I'm drafting Derek Carr, I'm drafting the entire Raiders offense is I, I guess a healthier way to look at trying to, uh, you know, value your players and see exactly like who you're getting in bed with. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, the other part that you have to look at is like, let's say that you're a fantasy owner of any of the wide receivers that you know, are still playing or really any of the receiving options for the uh, Denver Broncos, for instance, if you've got Jerry Judy, if you went with the rookie this year, or if you've got Noah Fan, who started out having a great uh, opening to his his year you know that drew lock is going to be out for a few games here with his injury as well. Jeff Driscoll is the guy that came in now Jeff Driscoll I thought played well in uh, in place of Drew Locke, but do you feel like that is a long enough term investment to hold off on as long as Drew Locke is going to be out, which if I remember correctly, I saw from up to six weeks or just beyond six weeks or something like that, that he might end up being, I think it was up to six weeks. Um, but you know, does that, how does that affect sort of the value of those receiving options in Denver versus let's say Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, who have also had a pretty nice start off to the season so far? Yeah, the Broncos situation is a weird one because I know, like, we've seen a lot of Jeff Driscoll elsewhere and Mm -hmm. it's not been that great. And I feel like when backups come in, especially like, you know, backup coming in mid game because of an injury. Uh, you know, the, the other team did not game plan for Jeff Driscoll. They right. game like the Steelers game plan for Drew Locke, which means that they weren't necessarily as prepared. And that can mean that when a backup comes in, they, they will look a little better in the game. They take over on a whim than the game where they actually, you know, the other team actually has all mm-hmm. week to prepare for them, which is kind of counterintuitive, but there's a little bit of an effect there. So I don't know if I quite buy the, any, any Jeff Driscoll hype, but here's what I do buy. You know, if, if we're getting to the point where it looks like Drew Locke is maybe getting ready if Jeff Driscoll does fail and doesn't look very good and suddenly, you know, your Broncos are 
are not looking very good, mm-hmm. um, you might be able to buy low on some of those guys. Somebody's got right. a Broncos receiver. Jeff Driscoll's been letting you down. Haven't gotten anything. They might be looking to get rid of that guy for low without really thinking ahead to, you know, a week or two and to, you know, Drew Locke's going to come back and now those guys are going to be a little bit better. You might not, uh, you know, you, you might be able to kind of play a little bit of a mind game and mm-hmm. and get out ahead of that if you can kind of manage that situation over the course of the whole season and, and buy low on somebody who's got a decent reason to to have a a boost coming up yeah absolutely i think winning winning trades in fantasy football is all about having foresight and taking advantage of people that don't <laughs> i usually am the latter <laughs> <laughs> yes same i'm really tentative about trading all together, I'm very tentative about trading. I I have a lack of commitment. I have commitment commitment issues when it comes to trading in uh, fantasy football. So I I try not to get it taken advantage of. Yeah, I usually just kind of like YOLO it, and then it d- never works out. So <laughs> you want me in your league? <laughs> I love it. Actually, I have you in a league for several years moving forward as we now have yeah. our dynasty league. So I will keep that in mind. Uh, put up two hundo in that league this you this did week. yeah <laughs> had a big old week big old week uh thank goodness right now you know we had kate come through last week to give fantasy football advice and we'll have more of our fantasy experts across the locked on nfl network continuing to come through and give those give that advice and, and we'll see like we're gonna we're gonna be seeing it play out against one another and all throughout uh the season here uh, as we as we continue to get the download from all those guys but uh good stuff man had a really fun time with you in today's episode Yeah, that is going to do it for this episode of Locked on NFL. Make sure you uh, come back tomorrow. Check out Tony and James talking about the draft, talking about the biggest stories of the day every single day. I'm Luke Braun with Locked on Vikings. I'm here with Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find Ross on Twitter at Ross Jackson N-O-L-A. This episode has been brought to you by Visa, the official partner of the NFL. We'll see you all next week.